1: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Ishtar, a bearded goddess of sex and war from ancient Mesopotamia. She was hot-tempered with a lust for conquest, and her priestesses were transgender.
0: Oya, Yoruba goddess of the wind, storms, lightning, tornadoes, thunder, commerce, and war. She rules the destruction that comes before positive change.
1: Atalanta, fleet-footed huntress and heroine of ancient Greece who joined the Argonauts. She helped slay the Caledonian boar and refused to marry any man who couldn't beat her in a foot race. She also became a PDA lion.
0: Papa Papalotl, a skeletal warrior goddess of the Aztec pantheon, sometimes depicted with butterfly wings lined with obsidian knives.
1: This episode is part of our Women of Myth series where we interview podcasters, authors, scholars, and more about the amazing women of world mythology.
0: It's based on our book of the same name, Women of Myth, illustrated by the amazing Sarah Richard. It's available wherever books are sold, or go to ancienthistoryfangirl.com to find links to a bookstore near you. Ah, Goblet! I'm Jenny Williamson, and I'm Jen McMenemy, and this is Ancient History Fangirl. So today, we are joined by a very special guest, Mary Catherine Phillips of Myths and Tits. So Mary is an illustrator who we both adore, and she has a special focus on Greek and Welsh mythology and we are both huge fans. Welcome!
2: Hello! Hi! Thank you for being on the show! No problem. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We're both massive fans. I've been a fan for ages. I own several of Mary's works and I'm always... Been-
0: Jen, how many things are on your walls right now
1: of Mary's? <laughs> there are quite a few. Uh, one, two, three, at least four that I can think of.
0: You're my best customer. <laughs> so tell us all about yourself. Um, how did you get started as an artist and how would you describe your work? I have pretty much
2: always wanted to be an artist. My great-grandfather was an artist, so I kind of grew up with quite a creative family. So I always just thought that that's what I was going to do really and I studied it through school and I went to art college and then I went to university and it was just it's just always been the plan for me. I studied it for GCSE and sixth form and then after sixth form I took a year and um, studied a foundation course so you get to explore loads of different aspects of art to figure out what you want to do like if you want to be a ceramicist a painter and I really enjoy illustration I enjoy telling stories and through my art and then I studied illustration in Cardiff Met then for uh, in university so yeah and now I graduated about two years ago now so I'm still doing it I, I don't think I'll ever
1: stop Are you officially full-time now, Mary?
2: Um, Yes, I am basically full-time now. So since um, lockdown and COVID, I quit my day job just before everything kicked off. Oh, that is a very
0: familiar story for me. (laughs) Yeah, Jen said the same thing.
2: (laughs) Oh my gosh, no way. It was scary very scary but we're here we're still here we're thriving so yeah but um yeah it's basically full time now and then I also I'm a childminder as well so I look after a little baby girl in the week which is really fun yeah um and you have an Etsy shop right yeah I have an Etsy store so I do um sell prints stickers tote bags t-shirts
0: and sweatshirts very soon mythology is such a big part of your art and one of the things I really love about your art is it's got this sort of modern kind of like I don't know I'm bad at judging what time periods art reminds me of but like it reminds me kind of it's kind of like this sort of 80s vibe to me that I really love
1: yeah (laughs) I love the 80s I'm obsessed with the 80s I love it and your colors are just so fantastic and bright and vibrant they bring classical ideas and images to this really vibrant 21st century is that over in 21st century feel to them it is
0: (laughs) And what year is it i don't know (laughs) yeah that's so cool the way you marry kind of this sort of like modern sensibility at least you know like from where we sit because we do ancient history all the time like a modern sensibility with like this really sort of ancient classical themes and you have You know, Greek and Welsh mythology are both big um, through lines in all of your art. So what draws you to these myths? And what is it about these stories that keeps you inspired? I feel that we we can all
2: connect to gods and goddesses and deities, especially within Greek mythology, because there's so much about them. We can really connect to the characters. And that's kind of why I give it a more modern twist and more modern colours so that we can really, you know, if... um, with the raven Maynards. I want to cover them in colourful leopard print, because that's what everyone's embracing nowadays. And that's what we like. We like colourful house situations like rooms and decor. And why not give that to the gods and
0: goddesses? Because they're just cool anyway. Like if you were going to give someone like a very general like introduction to Welsh mythology, um, how would you how would you describe it? So I would start off
2: from where it all comes from. So Um, The tales are basically these crazy, imaginative, magical tales. And they come from the Mabinogion. So that is a book which also represents a tree. So every story is a branch from that tree. And the Mabinogion, similar to Greek mythology, it was basically just orally spoken, you know, um, told through the generations. But in the 12th to 13th century, it was all written down. So growing up in Welsh schools... We were taught it in primary school and in secondary
0: school. So it's kind of always been part of my education. I looked at the Mabinogion as well when I was researching um, some of the episodes that I did. But I didn't do a huge deep dive. I was just kind of looking at it and picking a few small things to include.
2: Yeah, and that's really, that's the good thing about the Mabinogion. You can do that. Like you can pick little parts of the stories. But it also kind of, they explain a lot about our land. So a lot about whales and the mountains, because they're often named after characters from the Mabinogion as well. And giants and elves and goblins. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit brought to life and part of our history. You've
1: done a lot of Greek mythology um, and your mythology illustrations. And now you're moving into Welsh mythology. Can you tell us what you're most looking forward to illustrating?
2: Probably... Carrying on more with Welsh mythology, so I've done kind of the base level of feminist icons within Welsh mythology, but I kind of want to push it further, I want to be a bit more imaginative about it and create these characters more as people, because within Welsh mythology, it's not as though you get so much of a personality from these characters. You kind of get the base level image of this character, and it's more about what they do within the stories rather than about themselves. So I'm kind of looking forward to giving some of them more of personality. You know,
0: yeah, like filling in the gaps a little bit.
2: Yeah, exactly, and also doing it from um, a queer and female perspective as well.
0: That is like really exciting about your art is how queer it is. I was just telling Jen I think I need a queer as Welsh folk tea towel in my life. Like I think that is a thing I need. oh thank you but yeah it was really fun to do and that's um another thing that
2: I've really enjoyed doing is bringing back the Welsh lady and kind of making her more of a modern take on a Welsh lady like I am a Welsh lady but I wouldn't just sit around knitting (laughs) I'd like to have a beer (laughs) lots of very traditional very
0: queer Welsh ladies out there
2: (laughs) yeah exactly and love it and also exploring
0: genders throughout um welsh history as well how does queerness show up in the welsh myths are there any queer couples and love stories that you really love um unfortunately there's not because i have looked through my sources
2: and nothing i've spotted yet but i think it is down to christianity kind of taking over
1: I was going to say, do you think it's the person who told who was writing down the stories as opposed to the original origins of the stories? Because we saw it a lot when we were doing like the Ulster cycle, like I call it your Christian monk is showing when you can see like something from an older culture has definitely been sort of demonized a little bit to bring up something that's a more Christian value. Well, they didn't do too badly with Verdiad and Cucullin. Well, Verdiad and Cucullin is very queer.
0: Like that, that for sure. yeah.
1: It's very queer, but I would say that, like, they don't demonize that relationship too badly. No, I think they kind of straight-wash it a little bit. Absolutely. And Ferdiad has to die because, you know, that is the trope that literally the Christian monks started. I mean, it happened in the Iliad, too.
0: <sighs> so, how is gender treated or depicted in Welsh mythology? So, I went
2: into this, and you, be- I was quite surprised to see that women do quite alright in celtic life and in mythology because they're often seen as kind of the queens the goddesses and they're often worshipped more they also inherit everything from their family line so it's the female bloodline that is stronger than the male bloodline
0: wow oh my god i didn't know that that's so cool
2: and also they do better in marriage law as well so they actually get to own um, whatever they have, basically. They don't just have to give it over to the husband. They make their own decisions as well. That's what I really like about Welsh mythology. I've touched upon Rhiannon. So Rhiannon is like the great Welsh queen. She's also the horse goddess. And um, Stevie Nicks is inspiration as well. So she actually um, was supposed to marry this... I can't remember his name now. Some dude.
1: <laughs> it's all right. It doesn't matter.
2: Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> He's irrelevant anyway. He's not a nice person in the story. <laughs> so she was supposed to marry this guy and she got out of it twice and it was out of her own instincts to get out of it as well. She was the decision maker and she basically cast a magical spell on him. So she ended up marrying the man of her dreams, which was Praderi. And he is actually known as being not being very bright, not being very clever. He's a bit of a himbo prince, which we love. She does the thinking for
0: both of them, really. <laughs> Exactly. And yeah, and she chose him. So I like that. (laughs) Yeah, like she's the one taking the action and like the agency in that relationship. That's so cool. Yeah, I just like that about um, because I feel like
2: that really represents Welsh women. Like we're quite strong and we're quite strong minded
0: and we don't mind like bossing anyone about really.
1: (laughs) I support that.
0: (laughs) This is going to drop after a series of episodes that um, we did about... Female druids and the Morrigan that draw a lot on Irish myth. And I looked into the Mabinogion to bring a little bit of Welsh myth in when we were talking about female druids. And um, the part that I used was um, it was a part about the Nine Sisters. And like they, there's these horrible things that keep happening to these poor Nine Sisters in these Arthurian legends. Keep getting killed over and over again. Yeah. I was just like, well, this is just terrible, you know, and it fit really well into, you know, what we were doing in that arc. But I really wanted to give more space to breathe to Welsh mythology in this conversation and bring more of a feminist lens to it, because I was like, I this I know this is not, you know, the whole picture. So I wanted to make sure that I was giving it more room. So I guess like, that's, that's kind of like my larger questions, like, who's your favorite strong female character in Welsh mythology? Um, and um, how does feminism kind of manifest itself in these myths?
2: Uh, my favourite at the moment is probably Ariane Rod. So Ariane Rod is the goddess, the moon goddess, and she also is in control of taking the spirits of fallen soldiers into the other world. So a lot of the female characters within uh, Welsh mythology they're all otherworldly. So they all have that power to like birth and rebirth, and also take away life as well. So Ariane Rod is quite a special person because she controls her whole life. They say that she is a virgin, but only because it's the ancient version of virgin, where she's not married. She still is free with her sexuality. And my favourite thing about Ariane Rod is the fact that she has a massive thing for mermen.
0: Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> <laughs> she loves sleeping with mermen. Oh my gosh, tell me more about that.
1: <laughs> Mary has an Arianra, um sweatshirt, which is great for the cold months. It's amazing. It's in her Etsy shop. I'm just saying. Can I also ask, like, what kind of merman are they? Are they like top half human, bottom half fish or other way around?
2: You know what? I have no idea. I've just watched the lighthouse as well and this crazy mermaid character in that as well. I looked into it and basically there's no characters that she falls in love with. It's just said Like she just fancies mermen, which I was like, that is amazing. So I'm definitely going to create a piece where she is in the water surrounded by all these mermen but um yeah i just i just love her and she's also compared to artemis and athena quite a lot because she has um female followers she also has a castle which is castle city which means spinning castle so that is in the aurora borealis so like in the milky way so when you see the stars glowing that is supposed to be a castle in the sky and it's also in anis so that is anglesey so it's a tiny island just off the north of wales so that is supposed to represent, like, the other world, which is called Anon in Welsh. So when you hear Anon, anovon, that means other world.
0: Oh, we did a... Okay, so number one, we did um, a whole episode about Anglesey and the Druids' last stand. And we also um, talked about... There was a poem, the anovin poem, I forget what it was. There was a poem about that that we talked about in the female Druids episode.
2: Yeah, I read about that recently, actually.
0: Yeah, and the nine the nine sisters appear in that, and King Arthur steals their cauldron or something. It, it's like a little, small, tiny part of it. God damn you, Arthur.
1: Freaking Arthur. Yeah, he's got a lot to answer for.
0: He's got so much to answer
2: for. Just so fed up with him. Excalibur is his sword, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's the, that's the sword.
2: Yeah, I read that it can be found in places in West Wales, like in random places in Wales. Which is really funny, like doing my research. It's just typical Welsh people being like, oh yeah, it's over there, like it's in that river. <laughs> and like, we're just trying
0: to trick the English travellers who come over. We're just like, yeah, that's his sword in that river. They probably just tell the travellers, like, go look for the sword. Like, it's like a kind of a funny joke to play
2: on them. Oh my gosh, yes. I read in this really good book, I can't remember the name actually, but it's all about um, LGBTQ people of Wales. So it's a, that's kind of basically. What I wanted to say as well, just because you can't find LGBTQ plus characters in mythology, there's still so much rich history in Wales, just looking towards them really. And there is one lady named Peggy, who is part of the LGBTQ. And um, this English traveller came around because he was writing a travel book. And he heard that this woman lived up from other Welsh people, that she could either be seventy years old, ninety years old, or one hundred and thirty. And when she was ninety, she could wrestle any young man from the village, and she would win. Wow! It's <laughs> just <laughs> like all these to- all these tales, which I'm just like, yeah, I can imagine my grandmother telling me that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I bet there's a lot of women like that in Wales. <laughs> and yeah, so many. You can't mess. You can't mess with
1: us. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary for you prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Jane Perles, longtime
0: foreign correspondent and former Beijing Bureau Chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places. Somalia, We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian, Rana Mitter, joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Faceoff launches April 9th.
1: Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast.
0: magical women portrayed in welsh myth like are they usually goddesses are they usually kind of like you know magical queens with these powers are they usually mortals or like kind of like like how does it work each one is a bit different so i would say arianrod is more of a
2: goddess um you have Frianon; she is the high queen but she's also otherworldly as well so she's um, a goddess queen hybrid mixture and then you have Couragewen, who is similar, but she's seen more as a witch. So I think that most women in um, Welsh mythology are seen as witches, magical witches. But I think that is because of the fact that the patriarchs are scared of women. I think in Welsh mythology, women are feared more because they have those powers and they're always tricked into doing things. They're not overcome in the right way. They're accidentally tricked into doing it by men. And men can't really get away with it by doing it the right way, if you get me.
1: I actually think it's super similar to stuff you see like in Irish mythology too. It's like this idea of tricking a woman out of out of her power by sort of a more Christianizing male force. You see it quite a lot. And I think that is about who was writing down the stories and what they wanted to get across. I think what you see very obviously is that particularly Welsh women, had a lot of power and on their own they were incredibly formidable and the only way to sort of make them docile and get them to do what you wanted was to trick them.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because when we were talking about just in general kind of overarching Celtic stuff, like we drew on a lot of Irish things because that was like kind of easy to find and it talked about like both people in the marriage bringing like you know, stuff into the marriage, you know, but like really interesting that women bring things into the marriage in like ancient Welsh culture and have that upper hand.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it is because women are feared because they have a special power that men could never have. So yeah, it is amazing. And I I do really like how Irish and Welsh mythology crossover because it's kind of a nice feeling to have a shared
0: history with a completely different country. Do you know a lot about how, um, like, the King Arthur stories in the Mabinogion? Because they're quite different from, like, the really well-known King Arthur stories, aren't they?
2: I don't know that much, but I know a bit about Merlin. But that's because I'm from an in Wales that um, shares the same name as Merlin. From Carmarthen, um, which is Carverthen, and that's, like, Merlin. And he's thought to have come from Carmarthen, Carverthen, because it means oak tree, basically, Merden and daddy as well and then um, apparently there was this massive tree in the middle of the town and if the, if it ever fell then the whole of the kingdom would flood so i think it was only like a few years ago that they actually took the tree and preserved it just in case so that curse would fall upon the whole town <laughs> which obviously it didn't but they've preserved the tree now and they've put kind of a monument in its place but I've always grown up thinking that Merlin was a Welshman.
0: Well, it totally makes sense, too, because um, oak trees were sacred to the Druids and the Druids had their, you know, base of operation in Wales during the Roman invasion.
1: Wales was the last bastion, wasn't it, Jenny? It was sort of the last strong Druid holdout. They all came from across, you know, Central Europe and Britain and they stayed in Wales. That was the last centre of Druid learning.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: We still see druids as well in our traditions now. So we have, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, called the Aistathrod. So it's basically something that you'll probably be forced into doing when you're in primary school. (laughs) So it's basically just like a celebration of Welsh culture. So it's singing, also read out poetry as well. There's disco dancing even. But um, it's it's just basically a massive Welsh festival and celebrating Welsh culture and arts. And they have druids in their ceremony oh wow yeah it's just really cool and they always have like really they always choose druids really well like they had um rugby players do it a couple of years ago which is really cool I thought like Welsh rugby players and they were young as well so really brought
0: in the tradition and it was just nice so there's a certain like amount of continuity and like a connection to these older traditions it sounds like you just grew up around this stuff it sounds so magical
2: it is magical I mean at the start it was kind of like Scary tales, some of them, because you listen to them, and you're like, ah, goblins. They're like, but um, it is just nice. Like, I do feel like more of a connection to the to the land around me, and because Wales is so rich in poetry and culture and just everything, really, and it just kind of makes sense to us. It's kind of like our being. I went to school and I was surrounded by mountains and, you know, you can really feel that presence of nature and everything surrounding you. So when you get into mythology, it just just means that everything makes sense and you can really relate to it then. So, yeah, I mean, I did grow up around it. It wasn't until now that I've restarted really with um, Welsh mythology again because I got into Greek mythology because there's so much drama and gossip there. I was led into that, but I'm just going to create some drama and gossip in the Welsh <laughs> mythology to be honest.
1: I feel like Greek mythology is sort of like the gateway drug of all sort of mythological interest afterwards. I could be wrong, but I feel like it's the easiest one for, because it's so it's been so widespread because of colonialism, and a lot of other cultures taking bits of Greek and mythology and putting it into their works, that it's so easy for a lot of people to get into. It's it's really readily reproduced a lot. And then once you've sort of gone there, you're like, but what are the other stories? Tell me Egyptian stories. Tell me North African stories. Tell me East Asian folktales and things like that.
0: And know. There's so much to read about. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. And they tell us so much stuff about the cultures that came up with them you know do you have any more thoughts about how um what welsh mythology tells you about um ancient welsh culture i think there is more about
2: respect in the sense of respect in the land and uh, respecting each other as well so there's quite a few times in mythology where people will fall or people will be punished because there's certain rules So in um, Ariane Rod's tale, so she basically gives birth to these two like entities. One of them is Dala Don, which is a, well, she basically gives birth to two blobs. (laughs) And there's no other way of saying it, blobs. (laughs) So one of them is uh, Dala Nile Don and he's a sea spirit and he's an offspring of a Merman.
1: I was going to say, that's gotta be a Merman's baby.
2: So he, uh, becomes a spirit and is, um, ends up in the sea. And then the other one is Lle, Llaugafes. um And he is born a light, like an orb. And um, later on in the story, Arianrod kind of rejects him at birth, which is quite interesting because a lot of goddesses in Welsh mythology are related to motherhood and fertility, but it also shows different sides of motherhood. So you've got Friannan, who's very nurturing, as a mother, and then you've got Arianne Rod who's quite distant from her children. And when women have children in Welsh mythology, they have to name the child, um, allow them to bear arms so to be able to battle in war, and to also show them the, I read one thing before, like, show them the powers of women, basically introducing them to a woman and setting them up with a, another woman.
1: Yeah, so they essentially, they essentially decide who that, that child is going to marry, not the father. It's very much the woman's choice who they're giving their child to. That's fascinating.
2: Yeah, yeah, basically, in, like, an arranged marriage. And Ariana doesn't want to do any of that. <laughs> I think because she's... I'll, I'll tell the whole story because... You wanted me to tell you a story, didn't you? That's a point. Please do. <laughs> I'm Helena Bonham-Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II.
1: They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his
2: friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello everyone, Stakuya here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis?
2: so there was this magical magician king called math and math had um a curse bestowed on him so when he wasn't in battle he had to have his feet placed in a virgin's lap at all times or else he would die when he was in battle he was fine but when he was at home or out of battle he had to have his feet placed in a virgin's lap at all times so basically being cared for by a virgin and i think that this virgin was probably his property so they had to protect that virgin's chastity but his um nephews fall in love with gwyne so gwyne is the his maid at this point in time and gwilfaethri is one of his nephews and he actually rapes gwyne and manages to get Rid of her basically from the palace and banishes her, and then that means that Math needs to find somebody to basically keep him alive and to keep his feet in their lap. So they look to Ariane Rod, who is actually Math's niece, and because she has such a strong tie to the bloodline, because she is the one who carries on the family's um, bloodline, she is looked to becoming basically the replacement. So they have to t- test her virginity. And to test her virginity, they place a magic rod on the floor. And Math asks Arianrod to step over his magic rod. And this <laughs> is what's written down. How much symbolism there? Oh, my this God. So much symbolism? That she has to walk walk over his magic rod. And as she does that, he suddenly gives birth to two entities. So one is Dalan, like I've mentioned, Isle Don. And he's the Merman's offspring. And then we've got a blob of light, which later on becomes Lleilhau Gafes. So Matt, the magician, actually tries to conceal Clay from Arianne Rod because she doesn't want anything to do with him because she's so, so embarrassed at how the men tricked her into stepping over the rod and to revealing that she wasn't a virgin, basically. So she immediately shies away and is just like, fuck you guys, why did you do that? Like, I've had enough
1: yeah i don't have to justify my life to you
2: everyone here's an asshole
1: fuck it all
2: <laughs> like i'm just having fun shagging mermen that's what i do no i'm not of this magic rod bullshit
0: i'm gonna go back to my mermen
2: who know how to appreciate me i've got a better magic rod at home i'll play with that all right it's <laughs> a so much more
0: magical rod at home <laughs> It's battery powered as well. That's right. And we call that listen. <laughs> That's a very important to have. a woman's got needs. Listen, that magic
1: rod can go all night. It's fine.
0: Yeah. That's right. I do not need your magic rod. In fact, it's not magical. It's
1: a bit disappointing. <laughs>
0: I love it. Also, keeping your feet in a virgin's lap is one of the strangest geese I've heard of so far. <laughs> I know,
2: but Welsh mythology is full of that. So it, it gets a bit weirder later on in the story. So because. Math is trying to conceal the fact that he actually has Ariana's child. So he places the child in his chest and the child grows from inside his chest. And because he's in this like magical wizard's chest, he grows at twice the normal rate. So when he is four years old, he's the, the size of an eight-year-old. So Math tries to reintroduce Ariana to her son and um she still refuses to give him a na- a name or anything like that but math actually um disguises say as um a shoe shiner shoemaker and Ari rod just comments on the boy's appearance and says oh he's got very light hair and he's got quite a skillful hand and that's where the name say saugafes comes from so in welsh it translates to um, fair hair and skillful hand she's accidentally named him then so that's one of the tricks gone so the second thing is that he's not allowed to bear arms he's not allowed to fight but um in some way um can't remember how she didn't oh my gosh i've forgotten to write that bit down he's not allowed to bear arms basically but they'll find a way he finds a way somehow and the third one which is the most important is the fact that he cannot marry a human woman. Similar to Pygmalion and also Eve from Adam and Eve, Matt and Gwydion, Clay's uncles, they actually create a woman for him, like the ideal woman, the perfect woman, out of flowers. They make her out of um, the flower of oak broom, meadowsweet, and they name her Blodeweth, which means flower face in Welsh. So she becomes this flower goddess. And I really struggle with this one. I remember hearing about it when I was about seven or eight. And I just couldn't get the thought out of my head that she was just flowers. She was a bunch of flowers. Because in the story, they don't really, they never gave her a personality or anything like that. So from a young age, I
1: spotted that and I was like, hmm, something's going wrong here. She's just a blank canvas for them to do whatever they want with. Exactly. That sounds a little bit Christian monkish
0: in a way. Like
2: Exactly. And that's what Slay does. He keeps her in his castle to himself. She does have maids and some lady followers to look after her. But as he goes to war one day, she comes across a man called Granu. And Granu and Blodewith actually fall in love at first sight. They love each other. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And he understands how Blood David came about. And he really doesn't appreciate how Say has treated her and how he treats her as basically just this flower woman with no personality or no um, voice of her own. So they actually plan to
1: kill Say. Yes. I am here for this so, so much.
2: I love it. She's a fighter.
1: Go, flower lady. <laughs>
2: But um, the only thing is that Shay cannot be killed indoors or outdoors. So there's kind of like these rules again where he can only be killed in certain places and in certain ways. So he can't be killed in the sky or when his feet are touching the ground. It, it's just really strange. So With and Granu actually make a thatched roof next to a river and they also craft these spears. So I read recently that the spear, the specific spear, actually took a whole year to craft. So Grano was working on that for a year. And they did say that um, Grano and Blodavid had slept together for three days. And that basically means in Celtic uh, religions that that's a marriage. So if you sleep with someone for three days, then you're basically married. And I'm thinking if it took a year to craft this tool, I'm thinking they probably would have got married quite a, quite a few times in that year. Right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Grano crafts this spear and as Clay is walking along the river on the way back from um, war, Gronach actually hits him with the spear and Clay turns into an eagle and flies away. So unfortunately, they don't kill him. And he is nursed back to health by his uncles Math and Gwydion, who I hate. They're just these wizards. I
1: was just going to say, I really don't like them.
0: No, these dudes are toxic.
2: <laughs> They're very toxic vibes. Yeah, horrible. So Clay is nursed back to health, and Gronu is sadly killed. Clay gets him killed, and Bloodayweather's is turned into an owl. So that's how that story ends. So that's kind of the reason why. For owls, blood is a really ancient term for owls, and their faces—they look like night bloom, so
0: they kind of look like flower faces. Anyway, no, no, no. I was just going to say, like, flower face is such an interesting and poetic name for an owl. Yeah, definitely.
2: Basically, it's said by a monk. Basically, so that was blood punishment was to become an owl, so she couldn't see the light of day again. And then. When I was looking through my um, feminist research, I found out that I kind of thought you could either be a flower girl who waits on this prince all day, every day, and is just flowers, or you could become an owl who is free to roam wherever they were in the night sky. And she's free, basically. She's let loose. And it's just, again, Monk's opinion that, it's bad to be turned into an animal. But that happens loads within Welsh mythology.
0: Oh, and other mythology too. Like, I was just thinking when you were telling me this story, I was like, I'm not sure if this is actually a sad ending. Because, yeah, she doesn't wind up with the guy, but she also gets to be a top shelf predator.
1: It reminds me a lot of um, Atalanta. Oh, right,
0: the PDA lions.
1: (laughs) She's exposed at birth. Her father is like, you are not a boy. Uh, Later on, he finds out about this sort of amazing woman who was raised by bears and is this huntress and is wild. And he's like, that's my girl. I'm going to take that girl and I'm going to get her married to someone because that's how it works. And so she said, all right, dad, the only way I'm going to marry anyone is if they can beat me in a foot race. Hippomenes is like, I really love this girl. Dear Aphrodite, could you do me a solid? And Aphrodite is like, well, sure. She gives Hipponomies three gold apples. Every time it looks like Atalanta's got this lead, he throws these golden apples, and is much like me. She's part magpie. She sees a shiny shiny. She goes, of course, to get these apples. Hipponomies wins. And it turns out that she somehow comes to liking care about him, and they decide to just get it on all the time.
0: Even though he tricked her into um, marrying him, which actually a little bit reminds me of Welsh mythology, where you have to trick women because they're too smart and too awesome to manipulate otherwise.
1: And so eventually they get it on in the temple of someone, I feel like Demeter, but I could be wrong there. And she's like, right, I'm going to turn you guys into lions and you can pull my chariot forever. This was just a bad, bad, no, no thing to do.
0: (laughs) No, bad lions, bad PDA lions, bad.
1: (laughs) Like the ancient Greeks, I think, thought that lions could only mate outside of their uh, species. So this punishment was that they would never be able to mate together. But as we all know, that is not true.
0: Turns out the joke's on the ancient Greeks because they made it all the time.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I think we had your favorite Welsh myth. Can you tell us your favorite Greek or Roman myth?
2: Mm, I don't know. I'm looking around my studio now just so I can get Because I honestly cannot pick my favorite. Because... The first one that I really fell in love with was Cupid and Psyche. I still love a romantic story, you know, and I just like, I like the kinky aspect of it. Like, oh no, I, you can only see Eros, uh, Cupid
1: in the dark, you know? I also love that, like, even as a kid, you realize that they were doing it at night. Like, Even as a kid, there was no question that they were like absolutely having sex at night and they couldn't see each other.
0: And that's really hot in a way. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she had no complaints, okay?
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I really like psyche and I like Dionysus as well. I just, honestly, I can't choose. I can't choose.
0: We've just been down a, a giant Dionysus rabbit hole, I guess you could say. And it's so richly queer, honestly. Like there's so much of like gender bending. And- uprooting the patriarchy and challenging the patriarchy right at its heart by challenging the concept of gender itself that you find in Dionysian myth which i think is really exciting and i think it's relevant to now you know
1: oh yeah and he's just so fascinating because to me when i I did a lot of research on him he's he's so old like he's one of the oldest gods but also he just changes so much and he's sort of shunted to the side as just being the god of this one thing but he's actually the god of so many other things as well. And when you start looking at him in relationship to like the Pythagoreans, and the Orpheics and stuff, you're just like, what didn't Dionysus do? Like one of my favorite facts about him was at a certain point in time, the Oracle of Delphi, like in the winter months, you could go there and get a prophecy from Dionysus as well as Apollo. And I was like, Dionysus, what were you doing? You have a lot of jobs. Just pick one. (laughs)
2: he's gonna be absolutely steaming drunk as he's doing it as well
1: well I guess the thing about him is you're also steaming drunk as you're getting the uh the prophecy the drunker you get the more likely he is to be like hello future and you're like I don't want this future
2: it'll be like a ayahuasca experience
1: well it might not just have been alcohol there might have been other drugs involved um or other like things that we don't know about like i know that they believed really strongly that snakes were these like liminal messages between the worlds and that's why you see them a lot with hermes and apollo and dionysus and they're very sacred to them because they can move between the worlds and these were all gods who were sort of moving between the worlds
2: do you think there were magic mushrooms there as well
1: oh i'm sure there was (laughs) (laughs) i didn't do too deep a dive i was like oh man
2: (laughs) that's probably where all the mabinogion came from to be honest magical rods merman
1: so what are the themes that you see like repeating themselves from your greek mythology work into your welsh mythology work
2: i would say strong female characters i mean that's kind of what i started off doing and i feel like I, i don't know i just feel like we're especially now on instagram i feel like feminism has gotten to the point where women recognize that they can be confident now and they can't you know they don't need to be told so much as in like body positivity and all that we know that now we know that we're worth it so it's just kind of showing off that and just showing off as goddesses ourselves and really appreciating appreciate ourselves and appreciating each other so it's not as in like trying to inform girls and feminism anymore it's basically just celebrating it and just having fun with it so I think that's kind of what I do and also. um bringing in LGBTQ as well. I mean, I feel like starting off with Greek mythology, it really helped me discover my own sexuality and my queerness and being able to present that and doing it in a way that's so public. But having, you know, the historical facts of ancient Greece behind that as well. And so when other people would see my work, people wouldn't feel like they were so alone. If they knew that they were queer and they had something to fall back on, which is has always been the case with Greek mythology, it's always been written, it's always been spoken about, and especially queer relationships, so that so I basically don't want young people thinking that they can't express themselves or express their queerness, and if they see me doing it and doing it even within Welsh mythology and doing it as a Welsh lady, I hope that people do you know resonate with that.
0: How do you find queerness um, coming up again and
2: again in your art? I I feel like I can't really escape it, really, because I've always been so interested in queerness. Like, even when I was quite young and I didn't really understand it in myself, I was always so drawn to characters in soap operas and stuff like that who were queer and who were gay, lesbian. And I just thought that it was so nice to see that represented on TV, even though not all of the storylines were really positive it was still so interesting and just something so different because where I grew up we were it wasn't very progressive in West Wales even though like it depends on the people really but um it's quite tough sometimes when you're in the middle of nowhere (laughs) and you can't really relate to anyone I just I just love queer love like I just love the fact that you can rep like what I really enjoy with my art is that people just message me on Instagram they say that I've inspired them I think that's the coolest thing ever especially if they're queer and especially if they didn't feel like they could before
0: you play a lot with like you know different different body types and um i really love i think it's your Ariadne rod um images that i've seen it's just like a a really beautiful goddess who looks like maybe she gave birth at one point you know like i love that like seeing uh women's bodies per- like portrayed in a celebratory and also very real and relatable way is
1: oh yeah and you what you said about body positivity and things like that that i really love is a lot of your goddesses are you know they are not necessarily the tiniest people and as someone who's not a tiny person it is nice to see a goddess who isn't perfect you know what i mean
2: yeah, I mean, I think it's for women, it's a lot easier because for women, we understand our bodies. We're all different shapes and sizes and we know that. So it's really nice just to draw someone who looks just like your best mate because you think that she's a goddess. Absolutely, like we're all goddesses, damn it. <laughs> and just, yeah, just do that basically. I do really enjoy um, just creating these women and creating the characters. And when when I, I don't really ever think about body types anymore because I used to want to be um, a fashion illustrator when I was a teenager and a fashion designer and I remember drawing the figures and just thinking this is so boring (laughs) I don't want to draw anything for someone who's just well who's quite small and just more traditionally you know beautiful.
1: So important to see I think like it's really easy sometimes to think like not to really look back at how far we've come in a lot of representation and how important the work that you and other artists are doing to make sure that that is out there and celebrated and people are able to really feel connected and and part of it.
0: This has been really, really fun, Mary. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. That's so much fun.
1: (laughs) Can you tell everyone who's listening where they can find you?
2: Okay. So you can find me on Instagram at, at myths and tits. So everyone thinks I say myths is in gloves, but I'm saying myths as in mythology and tits as in breasts. There's a link to my Etsy store in my bio there. And I'm also on TikTok as well. I'm trying to get down with the kids, be cool like a you know, teenager again
0: i am not cool enough for tiktok i have figured that out yeah i'm barely cool enough for instagram
2: <laughs> i cannot do tiktok but i try so i've missed some tips
0: on that as well all right thank you so much for coming this has been great <laughs> oh thank you
2: have me thank you